This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. You should have apprehended that uh, by this time. Uh, I've got a few preliminary remarks that I, I need to say before we actually get into the text, so don't get impatient and think we're not going to be dealing with the text with some detail today. We, we really are. Uh, many of you do a read through the Bible program every year or have done those in the past. And you probably do pretty well until you get to a couple of places. Leviticus probably makes you swallow real hard before you start that. And as you're reading to the Psalms, and you're supposed to do maybe five Psalms a day or something like that, and you come to Psalm 119, you say, oh, my stars, not Psalm 119. It is the longest Psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, several pages in your Bible. It is really an acrostic Uh, There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and the psalmist has used a a poetic structure in this psalm, whereby there are 22 sections of eight verses each. And every one of those sections begins with the first letter of a letter. uh, Every line begins with the first letter of one of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So verses one through eight, they would all begin with the letter Aleph. And then the next ones and the next eight would be Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalit, all that sort of thing, all the way to the end. So when you come to Psalm 119 and you read through the Bible programs, I want to ask you to skip it. Psalm 119 ought never to be read. It ought to always be meditated on. And I say that because recently, as a part of my own private personal devotions, I I went through Psalm 119, and I just took one of those letters, one of those sections every day, and just tried to use that as my morning devotional. And I want to tell you, it was not an onerous assignment to work through Psalm 119. It, It was rich and wonderful. And uh, part of what we read scripture a while, while ago, it said, Lord, deal bountifully with me. And then he defines what that bounty would be. He says, deal bountifully with me. Open my eyes that I might see, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Now, a lot of people would think, you know, my, my bounty, my idea of bounty is a whole lot different from that. But I want to tell you, when you sit down with God's Word and, and He opens your eyes to see, there, this, uh, one of the things I, I read about this was that Psalm 119 is much deeper than it is wide. And so it is meant to be ruminated on and to be meditated on and uh, the, the, the truth in Psalm 119 is absolutely amazing. Now, it does center on one theme, and the entire theme is the word of the Lord and what it is in a man's life and, and everything related to that. You say, well, doesn't that get redundant? Well, no, it doesn't. An illustration that came to my mind was 
you know, the, the light, the word that we have, light, is kind of an encompassing word. We all know from our science studies that light is not just one thing. It's every color of the rainbow is in a beam of light. And you pass it through a prism and every conceivable color is inside that one thing that we call light. And when that shaft of light hits an object, one spectrum of wavelength comes back to us. And we see color because that color is in that rainbow and the various hues and saturations are all in that one thing. And that's the way the Word of God is. It is so multifaceted. It is so multi-hued. You, 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 it would be impossible to really enumerate all the different colors in the rainbow. It's impossible to exhaust all of the truth in Psalm 119. Now that's going to be important for us in, in verse 1. Let's look at verse 1 very quickly. And it says, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And the word law there is one that I want to focus on for a second. There are eight or ten different words in the entirety of Psalm 119 that are rooted in the idea that, that God has spoken, God has said something. His, his testimonies, his precepts, his commands, his uh, his statutes. There are about eight or ten of those scattered. There's, I think there's seven of them in just these eight verses. And the word law, each of them has part of that spectrum. There's a, a subtlety about all of them. They're, they're not redundant in any way. And some of them talk about God's design for life, that God has set principles and precepts. This is the way life works. And then some of them are demands. There's design, there's demands, and, and how those things fit together. And so when we come to the word law, my sense of it is that this is an overriding term for all of Psalm 119. All of these other words are in this beam of light that we call God's law. When we look at God's law, it is, it is precepts, statutes, commands, his word. And I so appreciate what Sam shared with us from Psalm 119 of open my eyes that I might see what's in this thing. So I'm glad we had that at the beginning of things today. Well, let's start looking at it. Uh, I got a clock here, 107. Uh, I, I want to thank uh, Travis for, uh, you know, I was about a member here. I was a member here and listened to Travis and had the privilege of, of hearing him for about a year before we moved out to, uh, where do I live? Fulcher, somewhere out there. And uh, there's enough time in preaching here that you don't you don't feel rushed and you don't just nibble at the truth you have time to really dig into it so I, I appreciate that now having said that I will say that study that I did in Psalm 119 I, I pretty much got a sermon out of every one of those so 
I think I'm going to start a series today, and I'll be here for the next 21 weeks. Okay, is that, is that all right? Verse 1. Well, I tell you what, let me, let me kind of give you a structure before we look at it. First four verses, we are we're listening to a man in his private devotions. Uh, a true story uh, recently. Uh, heard about someone that was visiting in somebody else's house and bedtime came. They went to their bedroom and the owner of the home was in a different bedroom. And as they lay down the lights out, they began to hear this voice. A person doing their evening devotions, praying. And a, a, a whole list, long, detailed list of prayer concerns. And they said, you know, I felt like I was eavesdropping and I wanted not to hear and I wanted to hear. And the truth is that's what we're doing today. We are eavesdropping on a man in his prayer closet. My feeling is that David wrote this psalm. And so we're really hearing David. I, I believe it's him. Now, all the psalms weren't written by David. I understand that. Could be wrong. But we're listening to somebody pour their heart out before God. And there are two sections of this, one through four and five through eight. In the first four verses, he is saying, Lord, I believe these things with all of my heart. These are my convictions. It is what I know to be true about you. It's what I know to be true about your word. I'm absolutely convinced of this. I will not be shaken in that. And in verse 5 through 8, it is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In verses 5 through 8, you hear a man saying, Lord, this is what I believe, but I'm not there. I, I want my life to look like that. And so how do, I, how do I get to what that is, considering where I am right now and the truth about me? So he begins with, with celebration, positivity. And he says, I am absolutely convinced that they are blessed whose way is blameless, whose walk in the who walk in the way of the Lord. I know that's true. The question, let's look at some important words there. What does it mean to to have a blessed life? Blessed are those whose way is blameless. What is a blessed life? Well, everybody has blessings, everybody. The most lost person in the world has blessings. Every day you get up and the sun comes up, that is the hand of God doing that. That's a blessing. Every heartbeat, every breath is a blessing. We're inundated with blessings, but that's not a blessed life. What is a blessed life? And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. He he is a person or she is a person. And notice the word those. This is an an inclusive word. It it means these principles don't just apply to a a certain group. It, it, It applies to everybody. That if you are walking in the way of the Lord, if, if, you, if your way is, is blameless, 
It is infallible that you will not have a blessed life. Now, a word of caution. This is not a message of health and wealth gospel. What does it mean to be blessed? You know, now listen carefully. This is important. Blessing requires the hand of God. Now let me explain that a little bit. I can say, you know, I'm a lucky guy. I've got a good job. I've got a great family. I've got money in the bank. I've got a nice car. I've got a big house. I am lucky guy. I'm a fortunate guy. I'm a skilled guy. But when you say I am a blessed person, that's the recognition that there is an agency outside of me, sovereign over everything, that has acted in a way toward me where I have reaped the bounty of his, his goodness and his care for my life. The blessed life is the life that because of where they live and where they walk consistently experiences a walk and a fellowship and an intimacy with God so that he is caring for them and exercising watch care and provision in their life every moment of every day. That's a blessed life. It's a... well, if you look back at the Garden of Eden, a blessed life is walking with God in the garden. The unblessed life is out. Expulsion, away from. The New Testament talks about servants that don't do well, and the punishment is out. Get away from me, from my presence. And those that do well, it's come ye blessed of the Lord. It is to be with him. What is your idea of blessing today? We, we don't seek blessing in stuff, in material things. We are blessed and we seek the blessing of fellowship and intimacy with God so that I know I am in his hands and in his care. That ought to be the desire of every one of us. It's not, but it ought to be. And we'll see that addressed a little bit later in here. But we need to be clear about when we say, blessed are those people, everyone who meets these conditions. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. You say, well, who, nobody can do that. Nobody's perfect. So the blessing like this is impossible. That's not what it means. The word blessed, I mean, the word blameless there is not a word of perfection. It's the same word that's used in Leviticus when God is describing offerings to him in, in chapter 3. And he says, when you come to worship me, I want you to bring me the the animal, the sacrifice that is not blemished. It, it, is, it, is, it is whole and it's complete. Don't, don't bring me a, a blemished animal. Now, 
thousands of sacrifices would come, and some would be wonderful specimens of what a sheep or a bull might be, and others might be, well, it doesn't meet quite that standard, but it's whole, it's complete. So then in Malachi, we get an idea of what this, what he's talking about here, about an unblemished life. In Malachi, he says, what do you people think you're doing? You think you're worshiping me when you bring to me a, a, a lame animal, a crippled animal, and one that's blind, can't see, and you bring this for your worship? This is a, a blemished, and so that blemish defiles it. So the idea here is, blessed are those whose way is is complete and whole. That there aren't areas of life that are obviously maimed, that are vacancies in my walk with the Lord, that my walk is whole, it's, it's complete. What that would look like is to experience the walk with God and the fellowship with God and the intimacy of God that he wants us to have. There cannot be areas of my life, large segments of my life, where I've said, God, I, I want you in every part, but I reserve this part. You, you're not going to be involved in this part of my life. Everything is yours except I'm, you know, I live in a real world and I got to do business the way the world does business. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you 90% of the time. And he says, that's a, that's a blemished walk. It's not a whole walk. It's not a complete walk. So blessed are those whose way. Now, the word way is interesting because it's used two ways in, in the Hebrew. The, the dominant way, by far, it's used about 700 times in the Old Testament. And the dominant way is, it talks about the path. It talks about the journey that you're on. And there are a few times when it talks about our ways, who, who we are inside. And the truth is you can't separate them. The, the way you walk is your way. That's, that's who you are. Everything else is just religious talk somebody has said. So I, I walk in the way of who I am. And so he says, blessed are they all of those whose way is whole and complete with the Lord, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now notice the word walk there. It's an action word. It's a verb. Uh, it, it doesn't say believe. It doesn't say even understand, promote, advocate. It is you, how you live in God's way is, is how you experience the life of fellowship. And, and I, I emphasize that idea of what blessedness is because remember what Paul said to, to the Philippian church, he's in prison when he writes it. And I'm sure they're concerned about him and he's writing. Uh, and part of what he writes is to uh, allay concerns that they have. And he says this, I have learned 
emphasize that word learned. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. It's something that we learn. Just like in the scripture here in a minute, he's, he's going to say, Lord, let me understand. Let me know truth. Teach me what this really is. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment. And he's writing that in prison. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. And then he goes on and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And oh, how we misuse that verse. You can't quote that verse and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I can, I can broad jump further than anybody else in the world or high jump or run faster. That's not what it means. In the context, what he's saying is, it doesn't matter where I am or what the circumstances are, I can do this and know that I am blessed. I can handle this because I know I'm in the way with God. And if this is his path, I embrace it wholeheartedly and I do it with joy. So blessed are those whose way is complete and whole and perfect in their commitment, not necessarily their performance, but my, I'm in that, that way that doesn't have voids and vacancies in it, who live out their lives, who walk in this multi-hued, multifaceted word of the Lord. And then in verse 2, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies. The word observe there means to keep or to guard or to watch over, who watch over his testimony. Now, here's this, another word for the word, his testimonies. Think about what a testimony is. A testimony is kind of a legal term when somebody is in a courtroom and they raise their hand and they give testimony about the facts and says, this is the way it is. And when they do that, what they're saying is, I am vouchsafing this statement with my person. It is my testimony. My person is attached to what I'm telling you now. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word for testimony is the word martyr. It looks like our English word martyr. So that my very life is in this testimony. It is backed up by my person. And so he says, one of the things you need to understand about God's word is it, his per, it is saturated in every part of his character and person. All of who God is, is in everything that he says. His love, his wisdom, his power, his goodness, his sovereignty. He says, everything that I am is in what I'm about to tell you. And that ought to be a motivation. It ought to be a help to us to understand that God has said, I promise you, this is the way it is. That I would cease to be if this wasn't the way that it is. That's what a testimony is. So what is a blessed man? It's those that have this intimate walk, fellowship in the way with the Lord. And how do, you, how do you get, how do you experience it? It's not something to be gotten. It's something to be experienced. 
And he says, I have looked and I have seen, and this is what I know. Those that keep his testimonies are blessed. There's a, another common Hebrew feature of uh, poetry here. It's called Hebrew parallelism. Most of you know that. Where they will they'll have one line and it is explained or expounded. The, the hue of it is opened up by the next line. And that's what we have here. It says, you are blessed when you guard, watch over his testimonies. Who seek him with all of their heart. Now here's the real issue. You see, we are not to seek the blessing. We are to seek him. And when we find him, we realize how blessed we are. We discover blessedness in being with him. C.S. Lewis has an illustration. I'll slaughter it a little bit because I don't remember it exactly. And, uh, uh, but it's something like this. A man goes into, I think, he's, I think it's autobiographical in a way. He says he walked into a dark room of some kind. Uh, an outbuilding workroom of some kind, maybe with uh, harnesses, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, it's a dark room, it's dusty inside. He opens up the door and goes in, you can't really see much of anything, but he notices there is a shaft of light that comes in over the door when it is closed. You know how you can see light when the room's dusty? You just, you just see that shaft of light. He says, I walked over to that shaft of light, and I looked at it, and I followed that shaft of light up, and it led me to the sun. He says, the, the word of God is kind of like this, that when I, when I look into his word, and I really follow it, I walk over to it, I let the full force of it hit me, it will inevitably lead me to the sun. So we seek him with all of our heart. So what is blessing and how do you get blessed? The blessing is fellowship with God and how do you get it? Well, you get it by not seeking it. You get it by seeking the Lord. And then you wake up one day when you've got him. And even if you're in the prison, you can say, I am a blessed man. It is well with me. Because I have all of God. Because I'm in his path. I'm in his way. And notice in verse 3, he says... They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. Now, I think the emphasis here is, and we distort this often in religion, but the emphasis here so far has been very positive. God has a path. He has truth. He desires intimacy. It is available to us. And by the way, there's some bad stuff out there too. Stay away from it. He says, this is the way you should go. Walk here. I will be with you. It will be good regardless of circumstance. You may not be rich. You may not have gold. You may not be renowned. 
And oh, how young people today are so deceived. They work to get followers on Facebook or whatever all those programs are. I need people to notice me. And God says, I need you to notice me for your good. All that other stuff is false blessing. There's no, there's danger in that. You get off my path and there's harm and hurt to that. Many of you have been to national parks, Yellowstone, whatever. It's interesting when you go to Yellowstone and you go through the, the, the basin where all of the uh, pools of hot water and geysers are, that there's a wooden boardwalk through much of it. Sign after sign says, stay on the boardwalk, stay on the path. Danger if you get off. You can get killed over there. And inevitably, there are pictures of people that say, oh, I, that looks pretty over there. Let me go see. And you say, how can you be so dumb? You know, I think God looks at me sometimes and says, how can you be so dumb? I've shown you where the path is. I've told you where it leads you right where you want to go. Danger over there. And so in verse 3, he says, those that want this fellowship, this walk with God, and to experience this, this kind of blessed life, they also do no unrighteousness. Don't expect to experience the closeness and the fellowship of God when there is deliberate disobedience in your life. It kills every time. They walk in his ways. Now notice verse 1. It says, how blessed are they whose way is blameless. So I have a way and God has a way in verse 3. Blessed is the man whose way coincides with God's way. You have a way, a path. And God has a way and a path. And he wants his way to be your way. You see, some of us are more than willing to travel with God along his path as long as it goes where I want to go. And when his path veers to a direction I don't want to go, I have to make a choice. Do I want to go with my understanding, my wisdom, the things that please my heart? Or will I trust him who has stood and said, this is the way of life? See, God has borne testimony. John chapter 14 says this. That God has testified about his son. That God has stood up and he said, this is the truth about him. God has testified about his son. And the testimony is this. What did God say when he stood up and said, I give testimony about Jesus? What did he say? He said this. That in him is life. That in Jesus Christ there is life. And so when you go down that path and you're trying to decide which way am I going to go. His path leads to life. 
There is a way that seems right into a man, but it always leads to death. And God has stood up and said, I testify about Jesus that in him is life. And any man that has Jesus has eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? See, God has said, this is the way it is. This is part of my design. This is part of my law. This is what leads to life. This is a precept. In him is life. And so the psalmist is saying, I believe this stuff. I'm blessed if I choose his way and I walk in it. If I believe what he has said is truth. If I seek him with my, my heart. Don't seek the blessing. Seek him. And I will do no unrighteousness. I won't get off the path. In verse 4 it says, you. Now, that's important. We, we could go back up to verse 1. It says, though, though you're blessed that walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 4 says, you have ordained your precepts. It's a matter of authority here. When God speaks and says, this is the way it is, this is the word of the Lord God who made heaven and earth and everything in it. Colossians says, everything holds together right now, this instant by his power to hold it together. If God took his hand off of any part of creation for an instant, it would just simply cease to exist. That's who we're dealing with here. And he says, you, God, Lord, have ordained. You have made it this way. You can't, it is, you can't violate that and get away with it. It's like gravity. You throw a ball up in there, it's coming down. And he says, you have ordained precepts. Look in verse 4. You have ordained your precepts, your principles about life. Judge not and you won't be judged. Forgive, you'll be forgiven. These are precepts. These are principles of life. And he says, this is the way I've ordained in life to work. You, you can't hold a grudge and not be poisoned by it. You can't want revenge on somebody and not be poisoned by that. These precepts have been ordained by God. You can't violate them and get away with it. And he said, Lord, I know this is true. You have set your precepts. They apply to me. I, I, I can't set aside some because I don't like them. I can't treat your word like McDonald's. I mean, like uh, Luby's Cafeteria and say, I'll, I'll, I'll have some of that dessert. No, thank you for the boiled asparagus. Don't believe I'll have any of that. You can't treat God's word that way. When I was in the Marine Corps, when you went through the child line, you just held your tray out. <laughs> and they told you what you were going to get to eat. And uh, guess what? 
when you're in their training and going through their program, you're hungry enough to eat just about anything they put in front of you. And I want to tell you, when you walk with God, he will give you a hunger for him and everything that pertains to him. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Lord, I believe every bit of this. Lord, I believe. Looking at my clock. The next part is us. This is the hard part. Oh, that my ways... might be established like that those people that walk after you Lord I see them they have a blessed life and I understand they walk in your ways you have a way and they walk in your way and when I look at it I know this is true and then I look at my ways and I'm concerned Oh, Lord, that my way might be fixed and firm and settled. Has your way been established in the way of the Lord today? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you say, Lord, I know it's true. And I, I choose to believe you. So that my way becomes your way. I, I want that to be settled forever. You see, some of you know all this stuff is true, but you just haven't said, I choose that. It's not a question anymore about whether or not I'll be faithful to my wife. That matter is settled long before the temptation gets there. It's going to be settled about what I, how I honor God with my, my stuff, my life, my mouth. Uh, it's interesting, when you're retired... I don't golf much. Just I'm just barely good enough to beat your pastor. That's about it. Uh, and you'll get with a group of guys. They just put you with anybody. And so you go through a few holes. And golf is not where men's language is at their best sometimes. And you start talking about, what do you do? What do you do? I, I'm retired. What do you do? I'm a pastor. And you see the gulps. <laughs> and you say, Oh, I go to this church, <laughs> or I go to that church. My granddaddy was a, a preacher. And it's evident, there may be a regard and a respect for some of it, but it's not really your path. And see, look at the concern here. I want my way to be your way. To keep, it's again the word of, of guarding your statutes, another one of the words with its own particular hue of light. Then in verse 6, it goes even deeper. He says, when that happens, when my way is fixed and established and settled and consistent in walking with you, then I shall not be ashamed. So here's confession, conviction. Lord, one of the ministries of your word, when, when I drop the plumb line of your word through my life and I'm honest, sometimes I'm ashamed. 
I'm embarrassed because I know your way is right and good and I've not walked in that. Somebody has rightly said that the Christian life ought to be a life of continuous repentance. Now that sounds ugly. It it sounds onerous. But it's blessing. You see what that means is that the whole of the Christian life is being conformed to God's way, God's character, God's person, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that happens one way. When I'm exposed to who God is, what God is like, you see every one of his statutes, his precepts, his commandments, every one of those things is an expression of his person. And so when I drop his word through my life, I'm dropping his person through me. Do I look like him? Does what he stand for, does that look like what what I'm like? And the answer is, for every one of us, there are parts of me, the answer is no. Now that doesn't mean there's this massive vacancy of deliberate disobedience in, in your life. It doesn't exclude you from blessedness overall and walking with God. But said, Lord, I, I, I want it to be established. I want to drop your word, you, all that you are through my life. And when I do that, I, I'm constantly seeing stuff that I've not yet said yes to you about. For some of you today, it's your tongue or gossip or materialism or criticism, failure to forgive, judgmentalism, laziness. We could go down the whole litany of things, couldn't we? But that's not to condemn, it's to help. He said, Lord, Your word gets settled in me when I'm exposed to it. It shines on my life and it reflects back to me what you see. What's in you comes back. And I want to see that. And so he says, Lord, I know the truth. I'm concerned. I want my life to look like that. And now I'm convicted because I know there are parts of me that that's not true about. And he goes on and says this, I shall not be ashamed when I look, when I gaze, when I, when I open up my, my eyes and see your commandments, and just underline that word all again, we've already talked about that enough, all your commandments, not some of them, most of them, but Lord, every one of them, I want to see and understand and when he says, look, it, it carries the idea of understanding. The, look at the, the next verse. When that happens, when I look upon your commandments, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. You see, learning there is the kind of learning that changes me. I see it. I had an algebra teacher. I was not good in algebra. I had an algebra teacher in high school, and she put all these squiggly things up on the board. 
And she was renowned for asking this question, do you see it? <laughs> She's talking about some proof or the way to solution to a problem. Do you see it? No, I don't see it. What in the world are you doing? And then one day you say, I see it. I understand it. I can do this because now I see it. And that's what this means. When I, when I look on your word and I understand its truth, its power, its rightness, its right judgment, when I really see that, it's going to change me. You see, I need to be convicted that God's right about how I do every area of my life and say to him, Lord, I see it now. I understand it. The only way to honor you is, is to bring my life in alignment with who you are and everything about you. And so he says, right now, this moment, when I look at your word, sometimes it makes me ashamed. Because I'm not like that. But I will give thanks to you when I see it and understand it. I'm going to look, Lord. I want to see 18 times in Psalm 119, the, Lord, the, the psalmist says something like, Open my eyes that I might see. Give me understanding that, that I might know. It's, it's the, the plea. Father, it's your word tells the truth. I want to understand it. Teach it to me. Show me. You ought to come to every worship service saying, Lord, open my eyes. Teach me. I want to know. Because it's when you know Jesus Christ. I, he is the word. Everything that's in the Word, He's in the Word. Help me to, to know and understand it. And when I, when I learn your statutes, and underline that word learn, there, there needs to be a, a diligent study of God's Word. And he says in verse 7, I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. You can't give thanks to God when there's no uprightness of heart. That's hypocrisy. Lord, I thank you, but I'm going to live like the devil. You can't honor God and thank God and not have an upright heart before him. He says, I'm going to thank you with an upright heart. The greatest honor you can give God or say to him is say, Lord, I'm going... I'm, I'm going to have an upright life that honors you. That's my way of say, saying thanks to you. And that will happen when I learn that your judgments are, are always right. Now, we're, we're about to get to the message any second here. In verse 8, he says, so we've moved from concern to conviction confession you see confess I'm ashamed I've got a lot to be ashamed about there's confession in there and then there's commitment that's in there Lord I'm committed to learning this is going to happen because I'm going to pursue this path I shall keep your statutes there are people here today that come in with concern about their walk with the Lord and he's been working on you and you're saying, Lord, I want, I want to be that. You know I do. I know it's true. And I, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what you want me to be. And I've fallen short. 
But I'm convinced that I, there's, there's a day and a way in which I can honor you with my life. It will free me from that shame so that I can give thanks. So you, you can't give thanks to God and be ashamed at the same time. When you experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, all the shame is melted away. He removes your sin from you as far as east is from west. He casts it behind his back. He'll remember it no more. He throws it into the depths of the sea. It's as far from you as east is from west. And you can give thanks because of what he's done, not what you've achieved, not how lucky you are. And how fortunate, but because of what God does when you walk with him. And then the Father's Day message. Do not forsake me utterly. That's kind of a strange way to end all this, isn't it? Lord, I believe this. I confess. I'm convicted. I commit to you. And then to be left with this, don't forsake me utterly. What does that mean? Now, let me kind of paraphrase. I think what he's saying here is, Lord, don't give up on me. I really mean all this. I understand I, I'm a person on the way. And I want to be what you want me to be. And I am changing and I have changed and I'm going to change. And I need you to stay with me. If you did, if you did what was right, you'd leave me right now. Wouldn't have anything to do with me. That would be the right thing. Lord, don't do that. Don't forsake me, Lord. Stay with me. Now, here's the Father's Day part. There are a lot of fathers out here that, I don't say a lot, some. When you look back on your fathering, you would say, God's words convicted me. I, I didn't do well. Some of it I didn't understand. Some of it I disobeyed. The consequence of that was death in a lot of ways. Death of relationship. Certainly not blessedness in the relationship. It's not had life like you intend for the home to be. And that's the truth about me. But Lord, by your grace, I understand and I see and I'm committed to being today what you call me to be and I'm growing and I'm not what I was and I'm not what I will be. It's interesting, New Testament says, you know, the day is going to come that we will see him face to face and when we see him, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. The more clearly you understand and look and see who Jesus is, the more you will be like him. And so every person in this room that knows Jesus Christ and has a taste of this ought to be growing in a grace that changes you. 
The implications of this, I think, for Father's Day is, fathers, all right, you messed up. Can't change that. You can change tomorrow. You can change today. Find out what it means to be a father. Husband. Commit to that. And your shame can be turned into thanksgiving by the grace of God. There's also another side of this, guys. What if you're the child of a dad that wasn't much of a dad? Maybe a horrible dad. But he's a believer. Do you hold him in the prison of the past and will forever see him as that man that acted that way when I was a child? Or do you understand that by the grace of God, there is the real possibility that what you see is not what is today? That the man that he is today, not perfect, but he's very different from that. And his walk with the Lord is changing him. And as if that were not enough for me to have a better more full of grace relationship with him. Consider this. Another thing C.S. Lewis has said, and I will slaughter it as well, but you'll get the gist of it. He said something like this one time. If we were to see each other as we will be, the human being came and I saw that person standing in front of me the way that he will be in eternity, I would do one of two things. I would be tempted to fall down and worship him because of the glory of Jesus Christ. He would be changed so much that like Moses, that glory would be reflected in his life or else I'd be tempted to run from him like he was a devil out of hell. Because we're going to be one of those two things in eternity. Less and less and less human or more and more and more in the image of God. Now, how does that apply on Father's Day? What C.S. Lewis is, says is there's no such thing as an ordinary person. Look at your father, flawed as he may be and realize what he is going to be someday and treat him out of what's coming instead of what necessarily is right now. And I want to tell you, when you apply that to humanity at large, that the difficult people that we know are believers and are Christians and have faults and they're not very far along the way and they may be irritating in a lot of ways, don't run from them. Lord, let me see them the way they are going to be. And I want to tell you, every flawed person, the ones that are even born flawed with every physical problem in the world, it ought to rejoice the heart with thanksgiving to say, I know one day that person is going to be so glorious that if I saw them now, 
I would be tempted to worship them instead of scorn them. Uh, See your children with the eyes of God. See your fathers and mothers and neighbors and church members as who they are going to be. I will give thanks to you because I'm changing. Don't give up on me. Don't forsake me. Don't wash your hands of me because God's not through with us. Father, help us to see you that we might follow hard after you and the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.